Hello, and welcome to the Digital Health Leaders Podcast, where we bring the best of the best in digital health leadership to you. I'm Russ Branzell, President and CEO of the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives, or CHIME, and the host of this podcast. These are truly unprecedented times for our industry and our healthcare leaders. These leaders are doing everything they can to support our frontline caregivers and guide their organizations through some of the most tumultuous times in modern history. Today, we have one of those special leaders with us. Today, we have a longtime friend of Chime and a personal friend of mine, uh, absolute colleague and friend, uh, a veteran of numerous senior CIO and HIT executive positions, a wealth of knowledge. He's a past Chime board member and someone who never, ever hesitates to be generous with his time for those in need help, whether that's a peer or anybody in the industry. He's just truly one of those special people. We're absolutely pleased to welcome Neil Ganguly, Vice President of Information Technology at Hackensack Meridian Health in Edison, New Jersey. Welcome to the program, Neil. Thank you, Russ. It's a pleasure to be here. So first and foremost, how are you doing? How's the family doing? How's the team at Hackensack doing during this crazy time we're in? Well, I have to tell you, we're, we're fortunate. The family has been able to stay healthy and safe thus far. Uh, the team has clearly adapted to, you know, I guess what we're all calling the new normal. Um, I'm hoping it's more of an evolving normal because uh, this isn't certainly what I'd like normal to be. But uh, generally, everybody's doing pretty well. I hope all has been well with you and your family and, and the Chime team, the Chime family. Yeah. We're, we're doing great. It's just, you know, you, you know our world. We're a very relational group, and this distance thing is really starting to get everybody a little bit crazy at, at I hear this you. point. And, you know, you, you mentioned this. It's, I, don't, I almost just massively dislike that word new normal. It's just kind of is what it is right now. And I think you're like many. Y'all are still distance working, remote working out there. You know, what's, what are some of the challenges with, with trying to keep a very complex, technically-based team together when they're all working remote? I think the greatest challenge is in maintaining the connection to the staff, uh, you know, something that goes beyond just sort of the basic business aspects of task lists and status updates, et cetera. In this whole world of remote working, we're really limited in the cues that at least I think most of us as leaders rely on to gauge the health and well-being of our teams. You know, the things like body language, verbal tone, it's much harder to gauge those things when you're on the online platforms. Certainly, if it's just teleconferencing, it's almost impossible. And then um, even with video conferencing, you look at that and you just don't have the same human connection that that allows you to kind of gauge temperature, gauge the uh, the audience, and understand what's going on with the team. Uh, that, and then I guess the related decrease in what I call informal communication, you know, hallway talk, or for those of us old enough to call it water cooler talk, uh, is that sort of unstructured business information you get during the day when you're walking past somebody's office or I happen to bump into somebody in the cafeteria. And then related to that, the personal insights that really help deepen the relationships within teams. You know, all that kind of stuff is, is a great challenge now to 
uh, really cultivate in this new environment. So what, what are some of the techniques that you're applying to this as a, as a, a really good leader to try to keep some team unity and morale up? We're really trying to communicate as heavily as possible, and we are relying on the collaborative tools that we have available to us with the different platforms that we have in use at uh, Hackensack Meridian. So we're doing team huddles, we're doing one-on-one -on -one meetings, we're doing social hours uh, where folks can get on and, and try to maintain not just that business connection. Uh, we allow time at the end Certainly in, in some of my meetings, teams that normally might have only met every other week as a team are now meeting two or three times a week in these huddles. And what we try to do is leave time at the end for, I don't want to call it forced personal conversation, but encouraged personal conversation, where we ask people about how things went that weekend or did anybody have a fun experience or if somebody took the day off, did they do something enjoyable? Just to allow us to have unstructured conversation and to, to help us feel connected to each other as, as people. Uh, the unstructured business conversation, that's still a little harder to get to, and we're still working through the best ways to have those kind of conversations. A lot of that still is, is happening via email, uh, but nonetheless, people, obviously we've seen a an explosion in the amount of email in addition to these, these conference calls and things that we're doing. But those are some of the tools that I think are working well for us. I feel like our teams are, are feeling connected to each other and to the organization, but uh, I, I'll tell you, I personally find it a struggle. I really do enjoy face-to-face -face communication and interaction uh, much more than I do remote. So, so on that note, because I'm with you, I'm I'm about as cabin feverish as you can get right now. And uh, the fact that I even had dinner last night with a friend for the first time in what feels like months uh, was, was a big victory for me. How do, you, how do you help a team that's so used to being on-premise, involved with people on a day-to-day, out in the facilities, how do you just get the job done? Well, I think we're staying focused on what that job is. Uh, the environment that we're in right now has been really, really evolving, not just over the last uh, six months or so due to COVID, but for HMH, since we came together as a health system only four years ago, uh, we've been in rapid growth mode. So that team has been moving from project to project and uh, initiative to initiative. So we have gotten used to really being task-oriented and project-oriented and staying focused on what the objectives are, the dates are, the goals are. Uh, I, I think that's helped us in, in this situation, uh, but it's also, I think, created a situation where our team is working under pressure almost constantly. And so while the job is getting done, I think our challenge as leaders is how do we help release that pressure? How do we find those opportunities to then allow folks to stand down a little bit and, uh, you know, and recharge effectively? 
but uh, you know, one of the challenges also we have as leaders in this world is, although everybody is working remotely and the teams are getting jobs done, it is easier for those who like to hide to do so. And I think it's important for us as leaders and the leaders underneath us to really be in touch with what is expected of each of the team members and that everybody is maintaining a level of accountability in this. And uh, at least at HMH, I feel like we're doing a pretty good job with that and we're hitting our marks uh, pretty consistently. Uh, it's interesting when you think about it. You know, you, you tell somebody to take a couple of days off and they say, okay, what am I going to do? I'm just going to sit in my same house that. I'm working out of it. That's a unique pressure. And then the other now is with so many people having to homeschool because many environments are not putting their kids back in, that just adds that whole degree of pressure of those working parents. It does. It does. And uh, our uh, CFO, who uh, IT ultimately reports up to at HMH, really has tried to get us to embrace this concept of not feeling like we're living at work, that we are at home and we have to try to put some boundaries around what the work day truly is, uh, even though you know, the flip side to it is you do have some flexibility from being at home where you can kind of manage some of those personal issues like kids working from home, et cetera. Uh, so it's a, it's a balancing act, and uh, you know, I don't know that anybody gets it perfect I think a lot of it depends on the individual and, and how well they adapt to the circumstances we're in. So, so you all are a New Jersey-based company, and, and you in particular out in that Edison area that you know how much I love. Um, sometimes New Jersey gets a bad rap, and, uh, and I absolutely <laughs> love Edison. Actually, probably one of my top five restaurants in the world is right there in Edison. It's killing me not to have visited in six months. So. But you all in particular, I mean, admittedly, New York, New Jersey, several other places got hit really hard in that first wave of COVID. And uh, so, so what are you all doing to try to kind of return back to, to what I would call more standard operations? Well, believe it or not, the hospitals have really predominantly returned back to what we'd call pre-COVID type operations. Uh, other than obviously the fact that we have increased screening and their social distancing and all the kind of things you would expect with uh, anybody coming into those facilities now. But uh, when COVID first hit, we actually had to massively reorganize our hospitals and convert uh, nursing units from med surge units to critical care units on the fly, and we actually ended up converting non-inpatient space the rehab space, outpatient clinics, anything we could find was being converted into inpatient uh, units to accommodate the massive influx of COVID patients. In fact, at our flagship hospital, Hackensack University Medical Center, the employee cafeteria was converted into a 74-bed critical care unit. So you know, all that really happened just in rapid-fire procession through sort of March and April as the COVID numbers were going up. Uh, almost all of that has been walked back to uh, those spaces being returned to their original use. And uh, what we've done is keep in place the flexibility and the builds in our systems, such as Epic, where we can be much more flexible if and when a Wave 2 does hit to convert units back to that kind of use as necessary. So it's taught us that we, we can't really 
look at physical space even as having a single purpose. We have to have the ability to scale up and down, and uh, I think it's one of the big lessons we've learned. But in general, uh, and I knock on wood when I make this statement, uh, here in New Jersey and our colleagues in New York City, uh, we've got a very low incidence of COVID right now, and we are certainly hoping it stays that way. Well, I'm, you're getting me hopeful. Maybe I can get up there sometime soon, not just to see you, but maybe go to my favorite restaurant too. So we'll have to see I'm how that works out. Um, so on that note, I've talked to a lot of um, a lot of our Chime members over in that general area, New York, New Jersey, Philadelphia, up to Boston, and and um, they all seem to are talking about you know things are getting back to normal, like you said, but they've all got that little bit of maybe not fear factor is not the right word maybe it's just overly mindful of being prepared for a second wave how are you all looking at that so we are operating as if a second wave will come our organization has been uh, accumulating ppe to be ready for that uh, we've again maintained our systems in such a way that we can convert units back into critical care and, and other types of uh, service as necessary. So that's sort of the general posture that the organization is in. And of course, with the flu season just on the horizon, there's worry that that'll add to the potential stress or pressure of uh, the demand on the facility. Uh, so we're, we're gearing up for that as well. And, and as with most health systems, I think we're also very actively trying to encourage the community to go ahead and and get vaccinated for the flu to, to help hopefully minimize some of the impact the flu might have during that same time period. Yeah, we've heard from some of our international colleagues that flu and COVID together is not a good mix. Uh, it's a lot more damaging than maybe even we thought it would be. So yeah, that's great yeah. for you all. Um, so as you look at this, one thing I, I am generally hearing is true everywhere is you know the, the IT team's plates are as full as they've ever been, despite the fact that you know maybe budgets are constraining a little bit, a few other things are changing. The demand for services, support, and new things heading forward in digital health is bigger than ever. What do you kind of see your future six, 18 months, 24 months looking like? Well, you're right about the fact that the demand uh, is unrelenting and, and probably really increasing. I mean, we've got a roadmap of key projects that our uh, chief technology officer and chief application officer, who are currently our, our co-interim CIOs, uh, our corporate CIO left the organization recently, uh, but they've got a roadmap put together that's pretty ambitious where we're going to be uh, looking to roll out Google uh, G Suite and, and Google Chrome to the organization over the course of this year. We're rapidly expanding our PeopleSoft footprint. Uh, we're, we're moving forward with expanding Epic into uh, some of the organizations that are currently, uh, you know, recently acquired organizations. Uh, we're also looking at the need for application consolidation as we've, uh, like I said before, we're only a four-year-old health system, but that carries with a lot of legacy baggage of the applications that each of the organizations have brought to the table. And so uh, we're looking at really pushing forward and trying to get those things uh, 
kept in motion as much as possible. But while all that's happening, we've got this massive explosion of demand from, from our teams for analytics and for uh, tools that are really addressing some of the niche issues around COVID right now and things like that. And so uh, we're, we're trying to balance all of that and, and leverage some form of governance and prioritization to allow us not to ha end up where we just stress our teams to to the limit and then end up suffering where uh, we, we lose good people. Today's episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our segment supporter, LK, your healthcare data plumbers. Learn more about LK at ellkay.com. So, so much of that involves working with your partners, your vendor partners, and and sometimes working in a very collaborative way. You mentioned a lot of different big name companies in the, in in that description. In a time when you're all working from at home and you can't all sit in a big room and brainstorm the way you would normally do it, how do you have meaningful conversations and meetings with all these companies when you're at home? I mean. Yeah, I, I think that it's a different way of doing it when you're doing it via Zoom or, or Microsoft Teams or any of the other collaboration platforms that, that are really in use today. But it doesn't change the fact that we have to get together, we have to have these conversations, and the, the fact that they're not having, happening face-to-face, -face, I think, does reduce some of the value that I mentioned early on in the conversation of that human interaction and that ability to read the room. But it doesn't necessarily diminish the fact that the key issues are being uh, surfaced, the conversations are happening, the vendors are all very willing to work with us remotely. And in fact, as a larger health system, we have uh, embraced a lot of the collaboration platforms because it was uh, difficult for us to have face-to-face -face meetings when our geography spans over 200 miles. So somebody from the, the southernmost reach of our organization coming up to the, the north for a meeting could, you know, could take them out of commission for most of the day. And so I think from that perspective, we've been able to interact with the vendors effectively, keep these projects moving. Um, and I don't feel like we've really suffered that way. Hmm. So one of the positives, if you're looking for positives from something as horrific as COVID, is that kind of the promises we always thought were there of health IT and our solutions actually were realized. Use of EMRs, remote observation, telemedicine, all those things that just about everybody was doing, you know, especially ramping up during this. But now there's this, you're starting to see a lot more written and talked about, about this next generation of technology, this next revolutionary levels of care that, you know, kind of fall into the bucket of digitizing health systems, AI, blockchains, robotics, drones. I mean, you can just throw all the buzzwords out. How are you all obviously taking care of what you need to take care of today, but how are you looking out even farther at things like that that really are going to be game changers in many organizations? So we've got, as part of our IT senior leadership team, a, a VP of digital engagement who has 
a lot of this stuff uh, uniquely in her wheelhouse. And then we've got uh, an analytics and uh, data science VPs uh, who also are, are working on a lot of this. So we're fortunate to have a really strong IT leadership team where uh, we're there and all of us together are working collaboratively with the constituencies we've got out there to identify where are the, the possible use cases for some of these kind of technologies. Uh, I do see AI continuing to grow. Uh, you know, I think it's going to really help us drive a better clinical experience by tailoring the information to the situational uh, realities and to help streamline care delivery, making sure that those clinicians and, and uh, patients are having the right information provided at the right point of care in order to, to make that care as effective as possible. Uh, I see robotics clearly as an area where there's a lot of focus, uh, and I, by that I'm talking primarily more about robotic process automation and bots, where we're seeing a lot of the traction and revenue cycle and finance, uh, which I think other industries had embraced much earlier than we have in healthcare, so it's probably overdue for us. but. Uh, I think there's a great value that we can bring to the organization in terms of that level of automation. Uh, you know, you mentioned blockchain, and honestly, Russ, blockchain is one of those things that I struggle to really uh, embrace conceptually. You know, I, I've read some about it. I'm certainly not an expert, but I, I don't know whether I yet see what the clear use cases are for blockchain. Uh, but, you know, I think in, in general, my hope is that these, advanced technologies that are out there are things that we're going to continue to leverage and uh, we're going to use those tools to help make care easier to access, uh, more cost-effective, and, and ultimately more user-friendly, either for our clinicians or for our patients. So I know you all have talked about, your health system have talked about continuing to improve, grow fast, change the way things are delivered and, and really kind of even continuing to reinvent itself. And there are a lot of buzzwords out there like digital transformation and digital health. What does that concept of digital health mean for your organization? Uh, I think that digital health really represents the environment in which we are able to integrate the traditional back-end HIT technologies, the EMRs, the ERP solutions, et cetera, with, with forward-facing consumer-oriented technologies to provide a truly seamless environment for all the, the folks that are involved in this ecosystem. Uh, because right now, I think one of the greatest challenges that we've got is truly usability still. The tools we've deployed, and we've done a great job of rolling out tools like Epic everywhere, and we've got uh, you know, people who are, who are using Workday Loss and PeopleSoft, whatever the back-end systems are for various organizations. For us, it happens to be PeopleSoft. But we've done a great job of putting that, those foundational technologies in, in the back-end, but we haven't yet really connected that to the front-end delivery of healthcare in a very user-friendly way. Uh, and, you know, everybody likes to talk about the, the Amazon model, the Uber model, all that kind of stuff. But that sort of mindset, I think, hasn't penetrated us in, in terms of how we deliver healthcare yet. And, and to me, I think evolving in that direction is sort of the, the spirit of digital healthcare, if that makes sense. That's interesting. 
you mentioned this earlier and, 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 and I'm hearing it more and more, how prime time in an organization, business intelligence or BI and analytics is playing such a vital role in organizations now. Can you kind of tell us what your all's experiences that is and how you're trying to make that so applicable in your organization? Yeah, we, uh, we do have uh, two teams within the IT division. Uh, there's a business intelligence team and a data analytics team uh, that b both work very closely together under two VPs uh, within the IT leadership group. Uh, they are embedded in pretty much every operational meeting, every uh, action that's going on in the organization. So you know, obviously there's the, the basic delivery of the information needed to run the operations. But as we evolve and as our demands are changing rapidly, the leadership from the CEO on and CFO on down are constantly demanding uh, better ways to look at this data and uh, they're, they're really expecting us to be much more predictive in how we uh, are able to model information and allow the, the health system to navigate a path forward, particularly when things are as uncertain as they are today. So uh, from that perspective, I think the organization from a philosophical standpoint has really embraced BI and, and data science as core uh, services and our our executives who are part of the IT leadership team there really are, are brought into just about every executive meeting to help uh, ensure that they can provide the kind of information that will be needed to allow effective decision making and to uh, kind of help model what's possible for that leadership team. That's interesting and going to every operational meeting that just that tells you how critical that becomes to, to the way healthcare is going to be delivered and has to be run. Wow, that's amazing. So I know one thing for you in particular, you've been in a few organizations that have been involved in uh, mergers, acquisitions, whatever words you want to use. Um, you know, tell us some of the thoughts you have around when you see mergers and acquisitions work well and mergers and acquisitions that maybe don't go as well for people. Well, you know, I think it really boils down to an organization's clear understanding on what the rationale for merger is and what the impact, impact of that merger is. Uh, the organization I was most recently uh, the, the CIO of was JFK Health, and that organization did merge into Hackensack Meridian Health, and uh, that's how I am now a member of the IT leadership team at Hackensack Meridian Health. But... For JFK, I think that merger was a great thing. It really helped to bring resources to that facility, that campus, and that community that uh, JFK as a standalone institution just wouldn't have been able to bring to bear. So access to capital resources, access to talent. Uh, I think that for JFK, surviving the last six or seven months of COVID would have been a tremendous challenge without the backing of an enterprise at the scale of Hackensack Meridian Health. So in this case, I think it worked out very well for JFK. Uh, when you look at M&A activity and, and you have to kind of decide who, 
whose benefits are you looking out for? Does it work out well for every single employee? Um, yeah, I would say that in the case of our merger here between JFK and HMH, it worked out very well. We were fortunate that when we picked the partner uh, of Hackensack Meridian Health, they had a very, very evolved employee-focused kind of model where uh, they knew they needed talent and they were hungry for that talent. Other organizations, you do hear of mergers where the goal is to reduce headcount and to shed talent. Uh, so it, it depends on what the philosophy behind that merger really is. Uh, from our perspective in this most latest one, I think it's been you know, a great value for uh, the community that I came from and the organization I came from. Uh, and HMH is still in growth mode. We are continuing to acquire facilities and continuing to grow. And, uh, you know, I think that we'll see that continue. I, I don't think that it means the complete death of the standalone hospital, uh, but I, I think they're going to become very unique circumstances where those standalone hospitals make sense. Uh, and anywhere where you've got a com competitive environment uh, and, you know, anybody who's looking for really, I think, uh, active growth is probably going to look to have to align themselves with a larger health system with deeper pockets. So do you think given and kind of the situation, yes, some financial stress has occurred and for some organizations, significant financial stress um, during COVID, you know, do you, do you see mergers and acquisitions, not just for you all, because it sounds like you're in growth mode, but just at a macro level, do you think this is going to exacerbate, make things move faster in that marketplace? Uh, even across the whole U.S.? Uh, yeah, I, I think it will. I think that certainly those organizations that are out there now who are marginal, who are not quite making uh, robust enough profit numbers uh, to to fuel growth, you know, those who are just staying alive are going to have to evaluate what they want to do in terms of the future. Do they want to just limp along and stay alive, or do they want to join with an, an organization that might have the ability to allow them to thrive. Uh, but again, a lot of it depends on the culture of the organization you're merging into and, and how they approach it. I certainly think that um, mergers that are done just for the sake of scale can ultimately not do well, and you could end up having you know, major issues with costs and other things, and you see then that uh, they have to start to shed employees and, and things like that, and that's certainly never a situation you want to get into. So it's got to be something that's well considered, well thought out, something that uh, the organizations who are, are coming together have a philosophy around growth and around uh, really uh, promoting sort of the, the culture of healthcare and, and the, the value of the employees that they're bringing into the mix. But I do think that uh, we're, we're going to continue to see merger acquisition, uh, merger and acquisition activity uh, continue in the foreseeable future. So it sounds like you're being successful where a lot of organizations aren't with, you know, even deploying an IT strategy in, you know, a rapidly changing and growing environment and in seeing some of the benefits that you know, there's a lot written out there about that a lot of these mergers and acquisitions don't result in really clear benefits. You know, what, what do you think your secret sauce is? 
Oh, that's besides, a good question. Besides, besides uh, brilliant leadership, of course, Neil. Of course, brilliant leadership. But besides well, that, I think we're lucky to have a very, very strong leadership team. Uh, you know, I was fortunate to join a group of really strong IT executives who work very collaboratively together. I don't know if that's always the case. Uh, and especially when you look at organizations who come together culturally and, uh, you know, the cultures don't always mesh well, that can always be challenging. And so trying to deal with a combination of cultures and, and uh, different ways of working and, and understanding whether or not everybody's interests are aligned is key. And I think when Hackensack and Meridian came together and then, then when they brought JFK into the fold, uh, they did a good job of ensuring that uh, incentives overall or objectives, I should say, probably more accurately, were, were really clearly aligned. And, and that's been very strong for us. Uh, you know, it doesn't hurt that we're in a very active marketplace. Uh, there, there's other large health systems in our marketplace that are all doing well as well. So uh, you know, from that perspective, I think it's been, it's been good. And I think the acquisitions that they've made, they've made in a careful and considered fashion. Like I said, if you just are growing uh, for the sake of growth and you don't really think about what the impact that additional cost is going to be of carrying a large organization that you bring in, then eventually I think organizations can collapse under their own weight. And I believe that our, our CFO, our CEO, you know, they've kind of maintained a strong line of sight on that. And... I would argue that that's probably at least one ingredient to their secret sauce of how they've been successful thus far. Wow. So, so as our time's kind of wrapping up here, you know, we all have different leadership philosophies and mentors that have trained us and all those kinds of things. You know, what's kind of one guiding principle that you lead from as you kind of see the world, you know, your pearl of wisdom that you can share with our listeners? Well, from a leadership philosophy, and Russ, I think I probably learned this from you as much as anyone. It's really to, to open your ears and open your heart and make sure you're listening to your team and your colleagues and understand what's going on around you. So that you can react effectively and and help to keep things moving in a positive direction because as things are changing as rapidly and unpredictably as they are today uh, that that level of empathy that level of true listening is just critical to to keeping everybody in in a good place well i love that answer not because you included my name but really because that i just love the fact that you brought it back the fact that this is a lot of human beings taking care of a lot of other human beings. And that really is what healthcare delivery is. That's just, that's a, a such a poignant and perfect answer to that question. Because in the end, healthcare really is a human delivery uh, model. So that's just amazing. Well, Neil, as always, it's great to hear your voice. It's great to spend some time with you. Uh, I hate that we're having to do it over a video chat uh, session here. But again, thank you for all you do. Thanks for what you do for your organization, for Chime, our community, and for everyone out there, Neil, you're just one of our favorite people. Thanks, Russ. You know, I miss you guys as well. And I hope to see you up here in New Jersey once things become open and safe. But uh, 
I'm, I'm itching for us all to get back to real collaboration and some in-person networking. I absolutely agree. I can't wait to get up there to that favorite restaurant. I, it'll be my treat this time, Neil. <laughs> Fair enough. And with that, I would also like to thank all of our listeners for joining us for this episode of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast with one of our great leaders. As always, you can visit us on our website or at Spotify and Apple and uh, for all of our programs. For now, please take care, stay safe, go out, wear your mask, and God bless. Today's segment of the Digital Health Leaders Podcast was brought to you by our supporter, LK.